When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah. Hello, my name is Anna Head from Austria. And you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Go, Dominic! Well, hello to Anna Hep, daughter of Christian Hep that you heard in our intro there. She's a particular fan of Dominic Team, uh, as you could hear, uh, because uh, Anna and Christian are from Austria. I'm not saying that's the only reason necessarily that they're a fan of Dominic Team. Maybe they would be a fan of his, you know, if they were from Timbuktu. Uh, but as it is, they've got no choice to be Dominic Team fans because they are from Austria. Thank you, Anna, for that uh, wonderfully uplifting intro there and thank you Christian for your support of the tennis podcast uh, which leads us nicely I think Matt chose that intro because uh, he said that's a lovely segue into Vienna uh, which is the tournament that's just reached its conclusion uh, yesterday on the ATP tour we've had a couple of them this week uh, we're starting with the Paris Masters today uh, as I speak to you I'm watching Martin Fuchovic and Borna Choric locked in first set battle at the Paris Masters. Uh, But we'll start off with reviewing the goings-on from Vienna last week, seeing as Anna provided us with such a lovely segue. David, you all right with that? Yeah, that's fine by me. It's just a bit of a blow that Dominic Team has pulled out of Paris, really, with his, uh, his, whatever it is, foot injury, is it, Matt? Is that what's happened to him? Yes, foot injury, which he seemed to sustained during his match against Andre Rublev in Vienna and it hampered him in that match. Yes, not a good week to be uh, sort of talking in glowing terms about Dominic Team, unfortunately, but he's obviously hopeful for the ATP finals, I think. He's saving himself for London, Anna. Don't worry. Mm. Um, so you mentioned Andre Rublev there. Andre Rublev, who... Thank you very much, Matt. You reminded me that I predicted a year ago would have a big 2020. Um, I genuinely had forgotten that. So thanks very much. Um, Here's one, his fifth title of of the year. He's only played uh, 12 events. He's qualified now for the ATP finals. He beat Lorenzo Sonego and more of him certainly later, 6-4, 6-4 in the Vienna final. Uh, yeah, he's won five of the 12 tournaments he's entered this year. He's won them on hard courts, clay courts and indoors. Um, 
he hasn't lost to anyone outside the world's top 40 and he's lost only six sets in those five tournaments that he's won. That information uh, from Enrico Riva um, on Twitter, who's pumping out some wonderfully useful stats at the moment. Um, yeah, I mean, Andre Rublev. Is he the player of the year so far in the men's tennis? No. No. He's won more titles than anybody else. He's won five. Djokovic has won four. Nobody else has got anywhere near. Yeah, those sure, things are all those true. Those things are true, yes. But I don't think he's the player of the year. I don't. I wouldn't put him above Djokovic or Team, for example, who've both won a slam and reached another slam final. Um, I think all those stats that you've just laid out for us perfectly sum up what Andre Rublev has been doing this year. He's found a level of week-in, week-out consistency at the 250 and 500 events that no one else has found and therefore that's resulted in loads and loads of titles and I'm incredibly impressed by that endurance and that durability that he's got because as I said I think during Roland Garros this is a guy who was injury prone at the, at the start of his career and I'm, I'm just impressed that he's able to keep going and keep finding the motivation and also the physical strength to keep doing what he's doing um, but you know, I think there's there's a level he needs to go up if he's going to be the absolute best player of the year, and that's doing it at Masters 1000 events and at Grand Slams. Yeah, I, I very much agree. I think had he had a real breakthrough at Grand Slam level, there would perhaps be more of a conversation around it, David. But he has he has hit that ceiling at the Slams this year, hasn't he? He, had, he hasn't broken Paris? through his glass ceiling. What if he wins Paris and then London now that he's qualified for the ATP finals? What if he won both of those? Would he be player of the year? That's then it's more of a, a conversation. Big hypothetical, isn't it? But <laughs> yeah, it's certainly worth revisiting the conversation. I'd be surprised if I ended up saying, yes, he's the player of the year. But you're welcome to re-raise the conversation in that scenario, David. Okay? I will. Uh, he's one of the most <laughs> impressive, though, isn't he, this year, given, I think, and I know that you were predicting big things for him, Catherine, this year, and, and one or two others were as well, certainly more than I would have been. You know, I thought I thought he could have had a good year. I didn't think he would be doing what he's doing. I really didn't, particularly when you consider he's done it before and after this six-month mm. hiatus from tennis. I think that's mightily impressive to just keep on backing it up. It shows his appetite. He is so hungry to win and compete. He loves it, doesn't he? He loves the tour. He almost loves it too much for his own good sometimes, I think, physically. But... And I think that that's probably the sort of issue you were alluding to earlier in his career, Matt, that he was get, he got injured a lot and he had serious injuries at times and his body couldn't really cope. But I love the way he just keeps coming back for more. Yeah, he's he's currently entered into Sofia qualifying. <laughs> of course <laughs> he he has. Which I imagine was an, in, an insurance in case he hadn't <laughs> qualified for London. Uh, I expect now he has secured his qualification for London that he will be hopefully hastily withdrawing <laughs> from Sophia with all respect to that event. Um, Poor Sophia, last week we raised their hopes that Nadal might play. <laughs> now we're raising their hopes that Rublev might play. Is that next week, Sophia? Yes, it's in yes. between right. Paris and London. But but I do think it, it's, it's, it's a fine balance for Rublev that 
how much he plays um because i i do think that that hunger you described david comes from those injuries that he's had or certainly the the real edge to that hunger i i, I don't think it would be the same had he not been through that pretty harrowing period at the start of his career where he was watching all these other youngsters surpass him all these other youngsters who he'd been playing junior finals with for years he had to sit on the sidelines for nearly a year after he had had one of the earliest breakthroughs reaching that was it a fourth round at the US Open when quarterfinals yeah when I did that interview with him and spent the whole thing startled about how deep his voice was (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah he he was kind of the first of those Russians to have the big breakthrough and then he had to sit and watch them all pass him by um, which must have been incredibly hard and he talked about periods of of depression and it wasn't just one injury it was a few so he must have you know there are plenty of horror look at Tanasi Kokonakis he was in quite a similar boat to him there are plenty of real horror stories uh, about players that that just never recover from those sorts of injuries early in their in their careers um so i think that is where the hunger stems from um but yeah he's he, he'll need to he'll need to manage it he'll need to mm. he'll need to withdraw from Sofia qualifying <laughs> i think yeah. is what he'll need to do it's quite quite interesting that his agent is the same agent who managed the entire career of John McEnroe and continues to manage the career of John McEnroe post-tennis and doing all of his exhibitions and all of his appearance. A guy called Gary Swain, an American guy who works for IMG. And, he, and he's been with Rublev since since I heard of Rublev for the first time. Um, and, uh, and I find it quite an interesting association because it's, it's, it's meant McEnroe has been really heavily invested emotionally in Rublev's career himself. In, and I think he, Catherine, I mean, you were, you would have been on the Champions Tour probably when Rublev was coming along and, and seeing, uh, I, I'm pretty sure they practiced a little bit together. They would have hit together McEnroe and Rublev and, and, you know, I mean, we Gary is somebody Catherine and I both get along well with from our dealings with McEnroe but I mean you know his life is is stressful dealing with McEnroe all the time as much as we we like John most of the time um but Rublev seems to I mean he could he couldn't be more different could he he's a young seems quite shy quite um earnest you know he seems like a nice young lad really um but but I like I like that the fact that he st- he stayed with the same management company uh, or man- manager specifically and and I just I, I'm I'm very interested watching his development and having come through that period of of injury and and mm. difficulty um, and I wonder I wonder what what the ceiling is really you know because when you look at him in these tournaments he seems so reliable it takes a heck of a performance. Sometimes you get Zverev, sometimes you get Sitsipas. These guys, and I can imagine team as well. When when team's playing well, they just got too much firepower for him or too much know-how, you know. But he's catching up. He's ca- and he's got firepower of his own. Well, at the Slams this year, he's he's lost out to to Zverev in Australia, round of sixteen. That was straight sets. He's lost out to. Uh, Medvedev at the US Open also straight sets and and sits a pass at Roland Garros straight sets so that 
that at the moment is the the ceiling I'm describing you know it, as as detailed by Enrico he's not lost to anybody outside the world's top 40 this year he's 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 established a level that he's consistently hitting and having very f- few blips but there's not going to be enough for him for for sure he wants to be making well he wants to be winning slams ultimately but he definitely will be wanting to make a big grand slam breakthrough and soon, I would have thought, very soon. Mm. Yeah, I'm just looking at the people he beat. I mean, he, he had a bit of luck getting past Yannick Sinner because Sinner had to withdraw. That was a match I was really looking forward to seeing. Because uh, they're so such similar. Such a shame. Sinner didn't work, did it? Nice try. I had to give it a go. And then, of course, um, team was not really fully fit by the end of that match. I mean, I think the first set was was a tie-break set. But then, I mean, I, I watched the latter part of the second set and team was hobbling around, to be quite honest. Yeah, how, how bad do we... I, I don't want to worry uh, Anna um, and Christian, but how, how bad do we think team's foot injury is? Is it is it a question mark for, for London? He was saying no, and uh, or in as much as he, he's he's concentrating on that and he intends to get well for it, he certainly didn't look right on that court. I mean, I think I don't think there was any real question mark over him being able to play Paris. I think he might have gone on the court, but I don't think he could have been competitive in Paris. So let's just hope an extra week and not putting his body through that stress will will do the trick. But Rublev has had a. I don't want to do his achievement down of winning that title, but he's had a a really fortuitous run to the final in terms of players that were just short of full fitness. Um, but then he's played Lorenzo Sanego, who's in the form of his life, and he's absolutely routine, routine him, isn't he? You know, six four six four. Well, yeah, because the other player that Rublev played on that route was Kevin Anderson, and he also retired in the second set against Rublev. So he played three injured opponents in a row but you know that that does that does kind of demonstrate how impressive Rublev's own fitness and stamina to just keep pushing through this season has been you know he's not been hit with injuries so far and fingers crossed he won't be um and yeah I thought Sonigo kind of in the absolute form of his life would potentially push Rublev more than he did but in the end Rublev won that fairly straightforwardly and I don't think he lost serve in in the whole tournament Rublev he's he's really backing up he's not got a big serve but it's it's kind of a solid serve and he backs it up so so well and he's he's in, increasingly difficult to break Sonigo you mentioned Matt and we're, well done with that pronunciation yeah, by we're, the way. we're committing to Sonigo aren't we I'm we, we are because Francesca Colucci got in touch again Catherine <laughs> Uh, he said, "Dear friends, just seen Sonigo Djokovic live. Unbelievable! Remember, it's Sonigo, Sonigo, not Sonigo. Okay." I do remember now. I, I remember very clearly. Thank you. It's important to um, shout these things at me, like Estrava, uh, Sonigo, uh, Lorenzo Sonigo in the quarterfinals in Vienna beat Novak Djokovic six two six one. That is the heaviest loss. Uh, that Novak Djokovic has suffered in his career over three sets. He's actually had, I believe, a heavier loss 
uh, in a best of five set match uh, against Marit Safin at the Australian Open at the very, very start of his yeah. career. First time I ever saw Djokovic, that was. I commentated on that match. Mm, I think that might have been his first ever Grand Slam match. <laughs> I think it fact. was, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'd, but this I'd love is... to be able to go back and, sorry, just sort of extract your thoughts about Novak Djokovic after I that one match. I remember it vividly. Match. Oh, you did? I, I, of course I, you did. Yeah, yeah. I remember it very well uh, because, yeah, I mean, I'd never heard of Djokovic. I'd he- I suppose I'd heard a, a little bit of the hype that goes around, you know, about a young player coming along and making the debut. And, and he... I mean, look, it was one of those where he he was playing lovely rallies against Safin in terms of ball striking, but it was like they're playing a different sport in terms of man against boy. That's what it looked like. Because you know what Safin's like. I mean, he was a he was a huge, muscular guy out there and he was just manhandling Djokovic. And but you could also see that Djokovic was absolutely loving every minute of it. Even though the even though he got absolutely hammered, by the end of it he was laughing at how good Safin was and they were I remember them laughing together at the net after the match you know um, because he was just playing a different sport to the guy because he's used to junior tennis but it wasn't that long afterwards that I remember Djokovic playing as part of the Serbia team that faced Britain in the Davis Cup and I think Djokovic not much older beat Rzedski and you know really looked the part um, as uh, and, and Serbia beat Britain in that Davis Cup tie. I think only a year later. Nothing like Greg to bring out the best in people. That's that's certainly been go. my experience over the years. Um, so, I mean, that wasn't fast forwarding fifteen years. That wasn't the story against Sonigo, was it? I mean, you're absolutely right. Sonigo did play the week of his life and has certainly shown something um, talent and ability-wise that that I hadn't seen before from him, particularly in his semi-final against Dan Evans. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But in terms of the Djokovic victory, which is undoubtedly the moment of Sonigo's career, I mean, what an achievement to <laughs> to extract the heaviest ever defeat from uh, from Novak Djokovic. But Djokovic had secured the year-end number one ranking in his previous match for the sixth time, record equaling sixth time in his career. We mentioned that on our questions pod last Thursday. And towards the end of his loss to Sonigo, the effort levels looked, I think, substandard to to all of our eyes. Now, a lot of that was, was due to the great play of Sonigo, but certainly it wasn't the defiant Novak Djokovic that we're used to seeing. And these were some of the quotes from him after the match. He said, he just blew me off the court, that's all. He was better in every segment of the game. It was a pretty bad match from my side, but amazing from his side. He definitely deserved this result. I came here with the intention to try to earn more points and secure the world number one at the end of the year. I'm happy. I'm pleased that I'm healthy. And hopefully I can have a strong finish in London. I've done what I needed to do and why I came here. I move on completely fine with today's result and looking to the next chapter. Poor Lorenzo Sonigo. <laughs> Hearing those quotes. I hope it doesn't I hope it doesn't detract in his mind from his from his brilliant moment. I'm I'm pretty torn about those quotes personally because I I enjoy the honesty because we all know that sort of thing does happen. Had he not said those things, we all probably would have speculated that that was the case anyway. Um, but there is sort of an unwritten rule, isn't isn't there? There's a code. Um, 
So, uh, and that that's kind of there for a reason. So I, I don't know. I mm. feel a bit conflicted about it. I, I, was, I don't really feel for Sonigo, partly because he di- he has given him lots of credits in the first part of those quotes. And, and I think Sonigo knows enough really to, to know that he wasn't playing full throttle Novak Djokovic. He's not an idiot. And, and, and he play he did play brilliantly, but I mean, there are two reasons that that was so one-sided. And the other thing is, I feel a bit for the tournament that is that is a really good tournament. It's an ATP 500, and you know it, it's it's kind of it, it in itself is slightly dismissed in in those quotes uh, in terms of its importance. I always feel for an event like that in that regard, but at the same time, it's it's not unusual at all, both for a player to feel like Djokovic did that day, and to kind of say it. I mean these. So it's probably more unusual this year because there isn't any reason to be burnt out physically and and mentally in quite the same way. I mean, mentally maybe because obviously it's got its own stresses, hasn't it, uh, this year. But when when you think back to all the years, I remember Djokovic. He, in fact, the year twenty eleven that he had that incredible forty odd match winning streak at the start of the year. By the end of the year, I remember him being at the ATP Finals and and he. He looked like a ghost, you know, in his press conferences because he just he'd had enough. He just and what the difference with him and say Nadal or and and probably Federer as well is Djokovic is really not good at hiding it either on court or off court. I mean, sometimes off court he will just by because he is generous to an opponent. He always does try to say generous things. But you can see in his body language on the court whether he's whether he's in the moment or not. I've seen it so many times with him when he's not engaged, and I mean, you know, it's not Nick Kyrgios levels of tanking, which is just totally disrespecting the moment and the sport, and all, and just trying to make out that he couldn't care less and and kind of let him let himself off the hook that way. Djokovic is just I can't even pretend that I'm really really into this. I will finish the match. I will put the balls in court, but you can have it because I just don't have it today. The the tell that he was trying less than a hundred percent was how quickly he was playing. Mm. All, all the yeah. ball bouncing disappeared. Let's just get this over yeah. with. You can have your win. You're the better player today. I don't have it within me to fight tooth and nail. So I will. It's almost he's almost setting him up for winners. To be quite honest, by the end. Yeah, it had a Champions Tour feel about it. <laughs> and we have seen that with Djokovic reasonably recently. The only thing is we've not seen it this year. That's what I've been so surprised by with Djokovic this year, how he was talking at the start of the year, you know, with a bit of a glint in his eye about wanting to go unbeaten. That kind of language has not been used. I'm thinking of the 2018 and 2019 season where he was quite honest about his motivation coming and going and really trying to peak for the big events. And, you know, I kind of looked at his name in this draw at the start of the week and I just couldn't see past him as as the potential winner because I knew he had this number one goal that he was aiming for. I didn't quite realise that he could get that goal so early in the tournament. I, In my mind, I kind of thought maybe he needed to reach the semis or final and that would sustain his motivation throughout the event. As it happened, it was... It was obviously only needed to win one or two matches and therefore it kind of did feel like he was using the tournament for his own purpose rather than recognising the purpose he has for that tournament as well. I think that was the problem I maybe had with some of those quotes. But I think 
in the in the context of Djokovic's last few years, this kind of performance wasn't completely out of the ordinary. We've seen some slightly weird results. I remember that final against Karen Hatchinov in Paris, where clearly he wasn't quite himself. I remember him playing Alexander Zverev at the ATP finals and he wasn't quite himself. He's he's had these slightly strange performances at the end of the season, but I just didn't expect it this year when when he's been so motivated for every single tournament. It felt like something had just slightly changed this week. And I don't know, I think it's possible there were also lingering effects of that French Open final. That was a you know, that was the last time we saw him play. That was a heavy, bruising defeat he took and he his his ability to recover and bounce back is extraordinary, but I can imagine that that left a few little scars as well. Um, and yeah, he just wasn't quite himself in in Vienna. That was Matt Roberts' day, wasn't it? The pod where we reviewed Hatchinov's Paris <laughs> victory. Yeah, we all Two years we ago. all christened Matt Roberts. Uh, well, David a, did a, a appearance on the podcast <laughs> by going very big on Karen Hatchinov. <laughs> Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Don't go back and listen in the archives. It hasn't <laughs> aged brilliantly. Um, so Djokovic, year-end number one, a sixth time. It's record equaling with Pete Sampras, who did it six years in a row. There are two points of debate here. The first is how much of an asterisk will there be over this year? If it ends up tied... Do we consider Novak Djokovic's record as, in reality, equal to Pete Sampras's because this has been such a curtailed year? I would say I don't consider it equal if um, if it all ends here. Uh, for, for both of those reasons, one is because of the year we've had. Uh, I know it seems a bit harsh to Djokovic, but I do feel that it isn't the same when you haven't had a full year. Um, and the other one is just the fact that Sampras has done it six years in a row. I remember being around covering the sport back then. And, that, and was that was the a big second deal. debate topic, David. Hold your horses. All right. Sorry. I'm talking uh, but, about but, the asterisk over this year. Yeah, I, I would I would say if you're if you're looking, I mean, there is a clear difference between the two for me because of, of the year that we've had. I think there's an asterisk because not because of. The fact that the year is shorter, actually, I think there's been enough tennis this year to determine a clear number one, and that is Djokovic. The problem is that the actual mechanics of the ranking system have been changed and Djokovic is being rewarded, I think, fairly in the circumstances, but kind of unfairly if we're looking at it historically. He's being rewarded for what he achieved last year. You know, so many mm. of his points that are on his ranking now are actually the points he earned last year. So it's a completely, it's a completely different way of measuring the ranking. So for me, that's the reason it has mm. an asterisk next to it. It's not, it's not to diminish his achievements this year, but it's just a, it's just a fact of the way it's changed. And the the way the rankings have changed have determined things, um, have determined decisions as well. Djokovic not playing Paris this week. Because he can't gain anything in in the mm. rankings, you know it's 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 behavioural economics, isn't it? So, of a sort. Um, so, yeah, I mean, 
I think, I mean, of course, Djokovic fans will disagree, but I think logically, reasonably, there is an asterisk. I think the size of that asterisk will be different in people's minds. I think in Djokovic's mind, the asterisk will be pretty small. However, I do think he'll be very motivated to get number seven and make sure that whatever asterisk there is becomes irrelevant. Hmm. Um now, the second debate topic, which you've given the game away, David, <laughs> is whether it is a greater achievement to do it six years in a row, which I think most people kind of reflexively would agree with. Um, I saw Greg Rosetsky tweeting about that. I think, well, I won't give the game away about how you, how you feel, David, but I think the default is to think, my God, six years in a row, that's extraordinary. And of course it is. But there is an argument that, it is just as extraordinary, if not more so, to have done it over such a a broad period of time. To have to have that longevity at the top, and not just the longevity, the bounce back ability, the resilience to 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 drop off, to lose out to to your rivals one year or the next year, and then to come back and and peak again as the world's best. There certainly is an argument for that. Discuss. Mm. Uh, I bet Ian Dowey feels great about getting one of his made-up phrases from. Oh, I hate myself. Don't dwell on it. <laughs> Bounce back abilities Ugh. in the podcast. Ugh. All those years later. Is it too late to edit it out? No, no, no. that's that's it's <laughs> a beautifully put phrase. But the thing is, I, I, it is also one that works. So, um, <laughs> look, I. I absolutely you can argue this either way because when when you put I mean I've always thought the six years in a row is the record in this particular conversation that differentiates Sampras from all the others the others haven't done it several of them have done it four or five years in a row and he did six that's that was I remember what it took for him to do that and I'll, I'll run through that in a minute but just in terms of David's the, not missing an opportunity to talk about Pete Sampras in depth, you're right is he? There. <laughs> you're right. Um, but when Matt raised it, that arguably there's, there's there is definitely an argument for it being more impressive to have done it over such a span of time, to have come along nine years ago and been number one, and then done it again in 2020 i mean particularly when with the people you've got around and the age you, you're talking about a guy in his early 20s and then a guy in his early 30s yeah i mean there's definitely an argument for that for me i i just given that he's done it six years in a row and he's fought off agassi and he's fought off curtain for uh, several years and all those players that sampras managed to keep at bay in order to just always have the number one next to his name. I don't know how he did it in 1995 when Agassi just had the most astonishing year, I, it seemed, uh, at the time. But, yeah, I, I would go for that. Matt? Hmm. This is the opening edition of Matt versus David for, <laughs> for Monday, November the 2nd, by the way, because at 5.30pm it is uh, Fulham against West Brom. So yeah, I'm just setting the scene for, for tension. Take that's it away, Matt. That's we're doing a morning recording <laughs> yeah. so that we can watch it. <laughs> I, 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 don't know, I don't know about David. I'm struggling to feel that much tension or rivalry with 
David and West Brom. I don't know whether oh, I, I am. Uh, okay, fine. I was thinking I kind of pity West Brom in the same way I pity Fulham this season. In oh, his, yeah. His... I've definitely pity. I mean, oh. I, you know, if you're not playing us, I'm, I'm cheering for you. But, okay. you know. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, um, if you could dial up the aggro a bit, Matt, just for my sake later, that would be appreciated. <laughs> Today I can't stand you, Matt. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm not responsible for my actions between 5.30 and 7.30 on WhatsApp when uh, the match is going on, but... While it's not happening, I'm not feeling that usual tension. Anyway, um, I think by getting it this year, Djokovic has equaled Nadal. There's something Nadal has already achieved in terms of span between finishing the year number one. Nadal did it in 2008 and 2017. Um, I think the reason why I would slightly give the edge in my mind to Djokovic is just that this idea of finishing it six years in a row, I think the reason that that comes across as so great is it, beca- is it comes across as really dominant for six years. And I just don't think Djokovic has, you know, Djokovic's got loads of other things which point to his dominance over a five, six year span. And I don't think sort of necessarily finishing the year as number one is the determining factor for that for Djokovic. I think because he's got dominance elsewhere in terms of titles that he's won. So, I think players maybe put more of an emphasis on finishing the year as number one yeah, than I, I do right, in my yeah. mind. It doesn't, for me, it's that a bit isn't, arbitrary, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, you, you, whether you're number one in February or December, I don't. I don't really mind. It doesn't make that much of a difference to me. I just think in terms of overall weeks of number one and the fact that you can still be number one when you're such a different player and person than you were nine, ten years ago. For me, that is completely incredible. That's a very crafty move, Matt, to just, you know, take the debate off the table altogether. <laughs> well, I, and I'm, I feel like I'm swayed by the fact that I heard Sampras talk about this record with such reverence mm. at the time and ever since. It's the one he, I don't want to say he valued it, valued it the most at the time, but he certainly values it now, I think, because it's the one that remains and the one <laughs> so that has never got. been broken. <laughs> But, the, but you know, I remember what went into it, and and I was I remember it at the time. But I, I've I've looked up a little uh, just to remind myself. And I mean, listen to this. This is what he said at the time. This is what David does uh, at three a.m. Yeah, I did. Uh, <laughs> reminisces with of, himself about the nineties. On the eve of uh, this is preparation for the podcast, Catherine <laughs> yeah. Richard. I'll have you know. Yeah. On the eve of the nineteen ninety eight ATP. World Tour Finals, which was called the World Championships uh, in Hanover in 1998, he said, it's rare that you have in your hands a record that you can maybe break forever. I know, And, and he, at the time, he was vying for world number one at the end of the year with Marcelo Rios, who'd had the most fantastic start to the year, although he, he hadn't won a slam. He'd been in the final of the Australian Open. He'd won both Indian Wells and Miami and, and in the most spellbinding way, and Rome. He, was, he barely lost a couple of sets in all three tournaments combined, but he couldn't bring it at the, at the slams he lost at the French Open. Sampras had had a, a pretty ropey year. It's extraordinary that he managed to be in this position because he'd lost in the quarters of the Australian Open. He'd lost in the second round of Indian Wells, Miami, Monte Carlo, French Open, Queens, and he made the semis at the US Open. Really, the, the fact that he won Wimbledon is really what kept this 
chance alive for him and he beat Goran Ivanisevic in a match that he probably should have lost that as well so this was this was not vintage Pete Sampras at all he wasn't playing that well and yet he was managing to just about keep in the hunt he then went into a run of tournaments after the US Open after he lost in the semis he played six weeks in a row after the US Open to try to get to number one at the end of the year um, did he enter he played, Sophia qualifying? <laughs> it didn't exist. He 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 entered all the equivalents. He entered Leon. He entered he he the only one he won was Vienna. Um, he played Paris and he lost in the final to pa- in Paris to Greg Rosetsky, uh, which I know has has never been <laughs> something that sat particularly well with him. Um, but he played everything that there was. He he he. You know, he was going to tournaments and he was miserable. He was absolutely miserable because, I mean, you remember what he was like on the Champions Tour when he played in London that year, Catherine. He was, at the end of it, he was looking up the prices of private jets to fly directly to Los Angeles just to get home quicker. Yeah. Because he, 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 he didn't want to be away from home anymore. He didn't, he got stressed out by it. Um, and here he was, six out of seven weeks uh, playing, sorry, seven out of eight weeks playing tournaments in europe was this, in cold weather was this when he had the beard this is when he had a goatee yes i looked it up he, if you look at the photo of him standing next to greg rosetsky at the net in this paris final he's got a goatee mm. and it i mean it really doesn't suit him at all mm. but that's what tennis players do they get uh, they get some sort of sad facial hair that they really wouldn't have had if they were happier um uh, at times of stress like this and so he goes into this uh, this tournament at the ATP Finals, and what they used to do back then, rather than the press conference at the start of the tournament, they would have these round table interviews. They'd just literally put a table for the eight players, one each, and journalists, and they'd sit them down for basically however long, and journalists would just come and go. And this was the only story of the tournament. And I looked it up, this press conference transcript. He had to answer 79 questions over the course of this round table press conference interviews and and very often journalists were coming and going not having known that he's already answered the same question about four times and they'd come at the end having spoken to somebody else and they'd ask him again about the importance of number one and he said i note the importance of this week i know the importance of this record but in the whole grand scheme of things the grand slam record is something that i put above everything at that point he was on 11 grand slams so he would win three more in his career to break the record of Roy Emerson. He was only one behind Roy Emerson at that time. Um, and, and he broke Roy Emerson's record eventually and, and set the record of 14. Um, as much as, as the ranking is important this week, winning the Grand Slam record is something that will be above and beyond anything I could ever do in the game. Bear in mind, he held that record for nine years before Federer passed him, then Nadal passed him, then Djokovic passed it. So so that I think that's another reason why I look at his holding this record of six in a row, end of year, as being so important because Sampras was my favourite player before I worked in tennis. He was the one I kind of idolised. And I don't like the thought of him not holding a really significant record, you know, and, and uh, having lost them all. Um, incidentally, Rios... But he hasn't lost it. No, no one's no, arguing he that he's lost that but, but I think record. That, but I think that that's why I one of the reasons I put such stock in it as well as as being an important record is because I want it to mean a lot as well for for him to be remembered for something that 
nobody else has got and uh, and for it to be a big deal incidentally rios only played one match in those atp finals his first one he lost to tim henman who uh, who ended up going to the semis? And then he thought, got injured. Oh, forget it. <laughs> he got injured. He basically did, yeah. Um, <laughs> and Sampras discovered that he'd sealed the year-end ranking for a sixth time in his own hotel room while eating pasta on his own, watching. Which Marcelo feels really Rios. Pete Sampras to me in my limited yeah. experience of him. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And, and and he he wouldn't he wouldn't dispute that. He said, you know, his view was, look, I'm a low key bloke I'd, i i want to be a winner I, I love competing and winning but i don't he didn't like the fuss a lot of the time uh he ended up being beaten by alex Karecha in the semi-finals seven six and the third and that year he actually only won bear in mind that we're talking about rublev having won five tournaments out of 12 sampras won four out of 22 that year um and finished world number one obviously one of those was was Wimbledon um but but still it's it's interesting to note the the type of year everybody was having I just can't get over the 79 questions yeah I can't get over David counting the 79 questions <laughs> well I'm just looking through and I'm thinking I'm sure I've, have I have I'm Am I reading this wrong? Am I, it felt like I was just reading the same press comments over mm. and over again as I'm scrolling down, and I thought, I wonder how many questions have actually been asked here. Someone should so, show uh, that uh, transcript to Alexander Zverev. Yes, I was. That was that was yeah. my exact thought. Did he say, "Can you just check the transcript"? <laughs> and to be fair, he did. He did handle it all with remarkably good grace. I would say, David. When I was planning uh, the time distribution of this uh, podcast today, no one mentioned to me that there would be a sort of eighteen-minute Sampras soliloquy <laughs> in the middle of it. So uh, I'm afraid I'm going to punish Solihull. Uh, as a result, and and take a bit of time away from our Dan Evans chat. He reached the semi-finals. Wow. He's having a heck of a year. Uh, he's now joint third with Sitsipas on the list of top twenty wins for for twenty twenty. He's got eight of them. He's behind only Team and Djokovic. This is somebody that he still has a ceiling. Dan Evans for me when he takes to the court against those very very top players. I rarely think oh he's got a chance here for an upset. The 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 real top players, I mean, but he's so raised the, his own ceiling and and is consistently achieving it. He beats the players that he is expected to beat now. I think the players he's expected to beat, or he expects himself to beat, perhaps has sort of nudged up in the rankings yes. this year. I yeah, remember yeah. I remember we've talked about our chat on the train back from Dorridge last year, <laughs> Catherine, where we literally went through Dan Evans's entire season saying whether it was a, a good win or not. And we we didn't find that many that we thought were really good wins. But he he's had so many this year. He's made that jump. I think he's been slightly unlucky in the slams to play the, the type of player he's played, ones that cause him trouble in, mm. in terms of a Mute and a Nishioka, guys who don't really struggle with his slice too much, I think, is is the big sort of similarity between those players. I think when he plays someone who's tall and has big weapons, he can really neutralise them. And he, if he could play that type of player a bit more in the slams, that, that might help him. That's his next step, I suppose. Um, there's potentially a little concern over his ability to close sometimes you know we've talked about him not winning from match point up on a couple of occasions 
in Vienna, he played Sonigo, who was, as I said, playing brilliantly. But you would take that in a 500 in the semi-finals, and he, he couldn't quite get past him. He's one of the highest-ranked players now without a title. Um, Although he was injured in that match, he, I think. He had a bit of a left-shoulder injury, didn't he? Which Yeah, yeah. which was a shame. Um, but yeah, I mean, just really good good strides for Dan Evans this year. And actually, just to say on Evans and Sonigo, there was a small quirk in this tournament that Sonigo actually lost in qualifying to Aliash Bedenay. And then Dan Evans beat Bedenay in the main draw. Sonigo was in as a lucky loser. And then he beat <laughs> Dan Evans. So it was like a little... Uh, triangle where they could all beat each other. Um, yeah, it f- felt like we've been talking about all the other Italians, and then suddenly Sonigo is on the scene. <laughs> and I don't know. I felt I felt I felt bad that he wasn't massively registering. He was he was a sort of flickering light in terms of these Italians coming through. But then then I looked up that he'd lost ten matches in a row on hard courts coming into this tournament. So it did kind of come from nowhere and. He had the shot of the year, which is the drop shot. He he was using it incredibly well. And he's got a big forehand and a big serve. And I'm interested to see where he can take this now. But I didn't feel quite so bad that he wasn't on my radar when I read that record. Can we agree that the drop shot is the shot of the year, David, if we can't agree on the men's player of the year? Yeah, I, th- I think it's the one that has kind of come to the... F- the front of our uh, of our minds when you're watching tennis matches more than it has in recent years. Yeah, it's the it's the one that stands out to me. Yeah. Mm. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot; we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking. And I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. So that's Vienna. 
uh, done and dusted. Rublev, a champion once again. We also had uh, an ATP 250 event taking place last week. The Astana Open in Nur Sultan. If you're confused, so was I uh, throughout the whole week. Apparently, Nur Sultan and Astana are the same place, the capital of Kazakhstan. Um, but whilst it was previously called Astana, it has been recently renamed uh, in honour of a past leader of the country who presumably was called Nur Sultan. Um, so... That's yes, happened. it was just without the hyphen. Without the hyphen, so why have they put the hyphen in? Pass. Not sure. Not sure. Okay. Uh, well, let's just hope that you're not uh, listening to this podcast in a future time where the capital of the District of Columbia is called Donald Hyphen Trump. Um, or maybe that would be a good thing because it would mean he's out of office. I think it would be Don Hyphen Ald. What? Because Nurse oh, Sultan was is- the first name. Oh, right. Don hyphen Ald. I mean, maybe that would be a really great <laughs> tribute. Uh, do vote, everyone, if you're in the States. Um, so Nur Sultan, John Millman, on the boat, John Millman, uh, he's won the title. He beat Adrian Mar- Manorino 7-5-6-1 in the final. The average rally length in that final was nine shots, a, just a total war of attrition. Uh, Manorino 0 and 6 on break points. It's a first ever tour title for John Millman, uh, while Adrian Manorino is 1 and 9 in ATP finals. I commentated on one of those finals, I was remembering, against David Goffin in Tokyo a few years ago, and I remember it being exhausting. Just, it was like a game of ping pong, it was well, utterly yeah. exhausting. If if the drop shot is the shot of the year, then somebody didn't tell these two because uh, there were there weren't going to, there weren't too many of them in this match. I watched the last half dozen games of the match, and yeah, it was it was the same rally over and over again. I mean, incredible consistency, and and Millman just seems to just get such a joy out of playing these these rallies. And come on then. I'm going to keep going like this. I'm going to. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep going cross court until you lose your mind, and uh, and that's basically what ended up happening. Um, and he's such a workhorse, isn't he, Millman? When we think back to it was April, wasn't it, when we had him on the podcast, and and he was explaining what lockdown life is like in Australia and not being able to play and and all that sort of thing. And he he just seems to have played everything since tennis has returned, and here he is in Kazakhstan and you know in his on-court interview afterwards he was so warm about the the way the tournament had managed to put itself on at such short notice and done such a good job and he said I definitely would want to come back here and you know it, it was just a really nice scene seeing someone like him holding a trophy really on the ATB tour for the first time I mean just just one of those good guys I mean there was there's, there's often something uh, with Manorino that's uh, awkward watching him play. I mean, he's an awkward player to watch. He's actually a really effective player with the way he strikes the ball. I, but I don't think he would be offended by that, no, David. I think no, but, he prides himself on, on that. I mean, the, on match points, there was an overruled call and Millman comes to the net, arms in the air, celebrating victory. 
Manorino has just stood there on the baseline just looking at the umpire <laughs> because what's happened is they've called the ball in that was previously out and he's saying, well, the call distracted me so it should be replayed. And you've got this – and obviously you can't – you don't have a facility to replay that element of it in order to find out. So you've just got Manorino stood there on the baseline and, and – Millman's there. Well, are you going to accept that that I've won, or have I? You know, how long are we going to stand here for? <laughs> and uh, eventually, Manorino came forwards and and uh, and accepted it, but uh, a bit awkward at the end. But I, I don't know. I just I, I try to be obje- fair and uh, and objective in these matches. But I'm really chuffed for John Millman that he's won a title. And I think there was a, a kind of outpouring of goodwill towards him when when he won that title he's a he's a guy that I think a lot of players on the tour get on with and kind of root for a little bit as well um and and you mentioned him playing everything I suppose he's had to play everything you know he's made that commitment to come over from Australia it's not like he can go back he's not got a base I don't think in in Europe that he can sort of rest for for a week and then go off to another tournament he's just been yeah, as you said, kind of grinding now for two or three months, going from tournament to tournament. It's nice that he's been rewarded with a title. I actually watched him play Tommy Paul earlier on in the week, just the, the end of that match, and he saved two match points there, John Millman. And I think he's the fourth or fifth player this season to win a title, having saved match point en route. Obviously, Ugo Umber did it the other week. Um, and Tommy Paul was also five love up in the deciding set tiebreak against John Millman, and somehow Millman managed to to win it. Well, I say somehow it was a, it was a massive choke from Tommy Paul. Unfortunately, <laughs> his he couldn't find the court with his forehand. But yeah, there's um, there's a lot of goodwill I think towards John Millman, and it's mm. it's he's the kind of guy who at least deserves one ATP title in this career he's put together for himself since he. You know, since he stepped away from the sport and and has come back. Do, do you know he won he won less money for winning that title than a first round loser got in Vienna. He got thirteen thousand dollars just over for winning that title. Uh, did did Milman? And the way they're weighting things these days, I mean, the the first round prize money was five thousand, and so he only got eight thousand more for winning the whole thing. But in Vienna, eighteen thousand euros for a first round loss. Wow. Goodness me, yeah, that's a that's a bit of a reality check uh, for how things are at the moment. Yeah, I mean, just he's not. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure the money's nice, but I I I doubt he'd have even looked at the check to see how much was uh, was on it. John Millman. I mean, a first ATP title for him. It's it's wonderful, really. It's a really it's a really great story. Um, so that wraps up the tennis for the week no WTA tennis last week none this week either there's just Lintz remaining that starts uh, a week today as we record so next Monday the 7th uh, no the 9th of, of November that'll be the final event of the year on the WTA tour there's there's Paris this week um, on the ATP tour that's just uh, getting underway Fuchovic and Chorich are on my screen at the moment, I've got the draw in front of me here just to pick out some highlights. Nadal, of course, is the top seed. He surprised us all by uh, telling us that he's playing uh, the tournament. Sits so past the second seed. Then it's uh, Medvedev and uh, Zverev is the fourth seed. Um, now, we, we, we haven't heard from Alexander Zverev since he released that statement 
last week in response to allegations of uh, domestic abuse from his uh, former girlfriend, Olya Sharapova. Um, he wasn't put up for for pre-tournament interview uh, by the ATP uh uh, over the weekend, as you perhaps might have expected uh, for the number four seed. Uh, he's got a bye in the first round. He'll play either John Millman or Misha Kecmanovic in the second round and he would be required to come to press after that. Um, we do understand that uh, Olya Sharapova has done uh, an interview with uh, Ben Rothenberg for the New York Times, as we record at the moment, that hasn't come out yet. Um, but of course, as and when it does, we'll we'll cover it. Um, we're certainly we're certainly not sweeping the story under the carpet or moving on from it in any way. It's very much present in our minds. We're just conscious that that uh, there's been no no further news. So we we kind of are where we are with it, and uh, we'll keep you posted. On it all, there has uh, just, I suppose, a very minor um, development in it. Is that uh, Daria Gavrilova, the Australian player, of course, famous for her, her two-week lockdown in uh, two-week quarantine in Perth after returning from her her time in Europe? She tweeted uh, a few days ago, very bravely, I think, to stick her head above the parapet um, like this. Very, I can't, I don't know any other notable players that have done so she says good on Olia for opening up it would have been pretty scary I just hope that she can handle all the negativity and what's to come next hashtag I believe Olia hashtag why I stayed uh, hashtag stop violence against women so that's where we are um, with that in terms of the tennis in Paris we've got Evans against Favrinka. that's probably the pick of the matches would you say yeah, it does stick out, doesn't it? I think they played a, a few weeks ago and um, and Evans had and match good. points and didn't end up winning. So Vavrinka managed to... And that's happened before between those two, of course, at the US Open. So, yeah. Now, it's, it was interesting. When, when Evans played Dimitrov the other day, I mean, the total opposite <laughs> of a match like Milman against Manorino. And incidentally, Manorino, great great stats put up by Nick Lester uh, that, that four of the rallies longest rallies of the tournaments uh, 45 46 48 shots all involved Manorino um last week but Dimitrov Evans was just one of those matches that every single point you can concentrate on and see something a little bit different you don't know what's coming next lovely sort of stylish match or every shot in the book and we're expecting the same from Vavrinka Evans it's not the it's not, yeah I, I would think so yeah I mean it just works doesn't it mm. the, the way they they go about their lines of attack. They're not all the same. Mm. Uh, so that's Paris starting today. Coverage in the UK is on uh, Amazon Prime. Um, a few other bits and bobs of news from the week. Simona Halep, uh, very unfortunately, has uh, announced that she's tested positive for COVID-19. She said, I'm self-isolating at home and I'm recovering well from mild symptoms. I feel good. We will get through this together. So we really wish Simona Halep well. It's another, you know, just sort of reality check of, of where we are with this pandemic. And we are in the UK or in England heading into uh, another lockdown from from Thursday, slightly less strict than the first one, but still, still, still pretty strict. Um, it's going to you know, inhibit all of our lives. I, th- I think the only significant difference is that elite sport 
will continue and certainly for us personally that's um that's a huge relief that we'll still get to watch Fulham and, and West Brom lose, Reading win and uh, the ATP finals at the O2 Arena will go ahead, albeit with uh, a massive testing um, process in place and uh, significant sort of restrictions and, and bubbles and so on uh, in place as well. Um, Magdalena Rabarakova, the former Wimbledon semi-finalist, is retiring she announced this week. I mean, we talked about Yulia Gerges, didn't we, last week? And this is kind of what we expected, didn't we? You put it really well last week, David, didn't you, about how this kind of a year would make people reevaluate and reassess and and really face up to how committed they are to just wanting to to play tennis in any way, shape or form in in the current circumstances. And it's not for everyone, and that's okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and different players will have different levels of severity of injury that they might have been nursing or have a a, a a kind of idea of what was required to get back and be able to play again. But I do think that it, it is giving pause for thought for players in a way that it wouldn't have done without the pandemic, for sure. Uh, Simon Briggs has done a big interview with Igor Svantec, the French Open champion for The Telegraph. Uh, what did we learn about Igor Svantec from this interview? Well, it's just a lovely chat, really, that, <laughs> that Simon's had both with her and, and several members of her team and also Nick Brown, who's the, the British former British player and coach who was an early guide for Igor Sviantek and, and acts as a mentor for her now um, and also uh, players from from Poland as well just to get a, a rounded view of of what she is like what her life is becoming now as a Grand Slam champion and, and what it's going to perhaps be like in the future I mean she just comes across unsurprisingly I think for for those of us now who who watched her at the French Open, heard her interview, she just comes across as such an engaging person and, and as an interesting, rounded, uh, multifaceted person in general and her interest levels. I mean, she she said she went back to Poland after the victory and, and started reading up on all the politics there and, and really just wanting to understand the world that much more. That's the sort of person she is. I mean, she really doesn't sound as if she was absolutely 100% on being a tennis player until these most recent of months where she's had this enormous success and and she's somebody with a lot of options in her life and you still wouldn't be surprised at all for her to indulge herself in being able to follow different paths in life but um yeah really good read anyway go and have a read of Simon's piece mm. um just to wrap up a debate that we had last week, we're going to give Mary Carrillo the final say on it because uh, why wouldn't we? We were chatting to her this week about last week's debate about Hawkeye and her views are thus. She says, I've never liked the challenge system, never bought the tactical use of stuff. What if a bad call goes unchallenged in the very first game and someone gets broken right away? Turning points happen all over matches, emboldening or unnecessarily pressurising players. The idea of being penalised for trying to make a call on the dead run from 80 feet away or incorrectly deciding not to, that's always been silly to me and unfairly burdens the playing the players. But then again, I don't like on-court or illegal coaching either. Uh, she goes on to make a further point after after some prodding from David 
on the, <laughs> on the specifics of her views. Mary, to confirm, ideally, would you have Hawkeye live and ditch line judges or have line judges with Hawkeye as something that can just be invoked whenever needed? And there's, like Nur Sultan, David, there's a lot of rogue hyphens in that sentence. You've put a hyphen between line judges and a hyphen in Hawkeye. Anyway, we understood. We understood what you meant. Well, we, we, I, I knew I was amongst the grammar police a week ago, so just. <laughs> I'm carry not saying on. it's wrong. I'm saying it's just jumped out at me. Uh, Mary replied. In my perfect world, anything close gets an electronic look with no camera shame ISO on the lines person. Clearly, even before the threat of COVID, transporting, housing and feeding lines people was only getting more expensive, while technology will only get more affordable. I would take some of the off-match duty lines people and place them squarely in the players' boxes to keep coaches, parents and other shadily credentialed people from cheating. <laughs> <laughs> Who wouldn't want to see Maria Chichak happily sitting between Sitsipar and Moritogli? Uh, in summation, fewer lines people, more accuracy and consistency from technological calls. Chichak's driving coaches crazy, drama redirected. Drama redirected. I mean, it's a hell of an very good. It's a a hell of an elevator pitch, that isn't it? I mean, (laughs) ah, yeah. I was quite confident in my position a week ago. (laughs) Yeah, so was I. Forget it all. Let's go back and delete last week's podcast. It feels irrelevant now. Whatever Mary said, all right? (laughs) Yeah, what she said. so I have I've 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 given you the 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 joy and the light that is Mary Carrillo there uh, because unfortunately I have to I have to follow up with some incredibly sad if not altogether unexpected news but I'm not sure that takes away at all from the sadness and certainly not for uh, Steve and Joe um owners of of Cam our lovely French Open mascot um because Sam Cam sadly passed away um this week, uh, Steve informed us via email, um, and it's desperately sad news. I know, uh, I know how overwhelmed and fortified uh, Steve and Joe were by the by the outpouring of joy and love there has been for Cam over the past few weeks, um, and I'm sure they would appreciate feeling the same um, at what is a very very sad time for them cam was quite clearly one of the most excellent dogs that ever lived um and i hope in time when the sadness is lessened just a little we'll be able to to remember him happily and fondly um so i hope that that cloak of of warmth and togetherness that i described a few weeks ago is um a small comfort to to steve and joe at the moment we're thinking of you guys and um it was our privilege to have Cam on the mascot team. Um, so that's it for our first weekly podcast of this week. We'll be back on Thursday. What will we be doing on Thursday? Just, just more questions. A Pete Sampras show. Send in your questions well, about Pete Sampras. Fine by me. By the <laughs> way, um, if you haven't read Steve Flink's book uh, on the, on Pete Sampras, which I, I'm just reading on loop. Probably Basically, don't need to after today's podcast, David. <laughs> You've Greatness revisited, if you'd like to have a look. Steve Flink's book uh, on Amazon. There you are. Um, we love to revisit things, don't we? And David loves yeah. Sampras, so it's, uh, it's a coming together of all the best things. 
so we'll be back on Thursday answering more of your questions um, and enjoy Paris. Enjoy watching Paris in the meantime. Um, and yeah, I think that's it. Any, any more for any more? We got any shout outs, man? Yes. Sorry, I was. He was, having Sam, he was having Sampras thoughts, David. He disappeared well, into I mean, a world of Sampras. We've decided to ditch Fulham against Albion and just have a chat for two hours about Sampras, and I can properly. I'm not have an watching audience. Fulham against Albion on my own. That nobody should be subjected <laughs> to that. Watch Reading Coventry on uh, on Friday or Coventry Reading. That was bad enough. I have heard some people question whether this comes under the category of elite sport. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. You can make your own judgment when you watch it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure everyone listening is paying 15 quid to watch that. Right, shout outs, Matt. There are ways. Um, shout outs to <laughs> Matt Bernhardt. Hello, Matt. Great name. Hello, Matt. Indeed. Although one T, but, you know, still a great name. Or like um, Matt's. Yes, but without the S. Without the S. An amalgam, if you will. Moving on, <laughs> Matt. With an apostrophe when required. <laughs> hyphen <laughs> oh right okay I thought it was an apostrophe I thought it was a hyphen gag re previous mm. gags good try carry on Matt <laughs> <laughs> that tone of voice has riled me more than I can express in words <laughs> <laughs> carry on Matt <laughs> how am I supposed to carry on um, shout out to Arvind Hello, Arvind. Is it Arvind Hello, Palmer? Arvind. It's just Arvind. Well, it could be Arvind Palmer it then. It could be. Hello to all the Arvinds, <laughs> just in case. Who are backing us. Yeah. And to Mikan Kierkegaard Bricks. Well, that's amazing. Yes. Can you say that again? Mikan Kierkegaard Bricks. Wow. Awesome names. Yeah. That's That's great. <laughs> Thanks not, to you. I'm say not, it again, Matt. <laughs> I'm not going to say it just in case I get it wrong because I don't want to. <laughs> Me uh, it would be doing a disservice to an excellent name if I were well, to do correct. so. But I've, thank you. I've said it wrong twice. So there we go. <laughs> it was a valiant effort. Uh, it's a cracking name, and we are very grateful for your and everybody's support of the tennis podcast. Um, I'm going to go and have a row with David off air and we're going to be back on Thursday with another podcast. We will see you then. Goodbye. Bye. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. 
quince.com slash style. 